Well, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm number 23, and you'll find that on page 458 in the church Bibles. We've been four weeks on Psalm 23, and I was keen that we took our time on it. We've taken a little more time than I guess we might have envisaged, but it's been helpful, I hope, and it's come at a time in church life where it's been good for us to be very careful and deliberate about connecting the psalm into the real corporate life of the church. We've gone through a lot as a church in the past few weeks with people with sickness and um, illness and various different things and death. And uh, the sermon last week, I was able to explain what that all is. That'll go up in line, I think, tomorrow. It's not up yet, but it will. And I'd encourage you to listen to the others in the series. But it's been good for us to slow down and take our time and to really dig the Word of God in deep. I want us to read a bit of Psalm 22, a bit of all of Psalm 23, and then all of Psalm 24. It's not very long altogether, but it's uh, what we really should have in our minds as we study Psalm 23. It's sandwiched between two very different Psalms. So you'll pick that up as we read, and then we'll plunge into the Psalm. So verses 1 to 5 of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? O my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. And then 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we read on. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands 
and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Now, Psalm 22, 23, and 24 run as a sequence. This psalm is first and foremost a song or a prayer or a psalm that Jesus sings. It is his psalm. He cried on the cross, Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Surely on the cross, the Lord Jesus' mind would have gone to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. Even though I walk through the darkest of valley, he is with me. Goodness and mercy has followed me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And of course, Psalm 24 is supremely a psalm that is all about the Lord Jesus. Beyond the grave, the King of glory. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. So it's a, a psalm that Jesus sings and in him, or him in us by his Spirit, we sing with him. You see, there are some psalms that only Jesus sings, and we listen to his solo. There are some psalms that we sing to him, about him. And there are some psalms that we sing with him. So he sings, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We might just summarize that as the question, why? Why? Why am I experiencing this? Or this, this, and this, as it often is. Lots of stuff. Why? And yet it steals upon our hearts. We find ourselves able to sing, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Even though I walk through this dark valley, he's with me. And then our minds go, and we sing. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And who's that? It's you and I. Because our hearts and hands are clean. Because Jesus Christ bore our sin. 
Now let's pray. Our Father, the stakes are indeed very high as we study these words. For if the Lord Jesus is my shepherd, then I have all that I need. If the Lord Jesus is my shepherd, goodness and mercy are my companions all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But if the Lord Jesus is not my shepherd, then I may have all that I want, but not all that I need. For what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? If the Lord Jesus is not my shepherd, then who will be with me in the dark valleys and who will be with me in the darkest valley of all when I am all alone? Jesus, the good shepherd, laid down his life for the sheep. Jesus, the good shepherd, knows his sheep and his sheep know him. So help us, Lord Jesus, in our wanderings to listen out for the voice of Jesus. Not the voice of a preacher, but the voice of Jesus from his word. Calling. Leading. Comforting. Promising. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, there's the big picture. Let's come down inside the forest and uh, climb two of the trees, verses 5 and 6. Let's read them again. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't it striking? I don't know if your mind is thinking about all that noise. What's that? Somebody's in trouble. That's what it means, isn't it? That's real life. Somebody's life has just suddenly changed. And what's the answer? Medical help, yes. Or the fire brigade. Or the Lord Jesus. Now, if you look at the back of the service sheet, you'll see that I've turned this lovely poetry into cluttered sentences. What are these verses saying? Here's what I think verse 5 is saying. Overwhelming, this is for the Christian, the person who can say, the Lord is my shepherd, or if you can't, it's for you if you will trust him as your shepherd and savior. Overwhelming blessings even now, comma, with a promise of infinitely more in the life to come. That's wonderful poetry, isn't it? Overwhelming blessings. Overwhelming, not in the sense of loads of them, but overwhelming in the sense that the blessings overflow or overwhelm the stuff or the blackness. Overwhelming blessings even now with a promise of infinitely more in the life to come. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The picture is of a banquet, a feast, a celebration. The details, the table is a banqueting table. Anointing my head with oil. That's not a king's anointing. It's not that word here in the psalm. 
It is simply what hosts in the ancient world did at dinner parties for their guests. So we've got people for lunch uh, today, I think. don't really know what's going on, but I think we probably do. And uh, what will we do when they come? We'll give them a crisp. We'll not anoint them with oil. We'll give them more than a crisp later, but we'll welcome them. Give them, you know, welcome them to your home. In the ancient world, you would anoint your guest's head with oil. It's what you did in the ancient world. It is a sign of blessing or of refreshment. And uh, seen most clearly, I, I think, in Mark chapter 14, while Jesus, let me read from there, was at Bethany in the home of Simon as he was reclining at table as a guest. A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Now, there's stuff going on there, and we'll come back to that in Mark 14. But what she is doing at the simple level is just what a host would do to their guests, anointing them with oil. So the picture here is of the believer being welcomed as the honored guest and being blessed with this cleansing or generous expression of fellowship. My cup overflows. The picture is of a cup of wine symbolizing blessing and joy. It is abundant blessing. Now, we're going to sing the old metrical version of the psalm later, but here are the lyrics from Stuart Townend's modern version, which gets the sense of this bit really well. He guides me, Townend writes, in ways of righteousness, and he anoints my head with oil, and my cup, it overflows with joy, I feast on his pure delights. So, verse 5 in Psalm 23 is a description of blessing, overflowing, abundant, lavish blessings. Now, the key question is this, is this blessing now in this life or in the life to come? And in this life is not just the whole of life. In this life, in the context of Psalm 23, verse 4, and in the context of Psalm 22, start to finish, in this life means in the dark bits of this life. The tough times in this life is verse 5 of Psalm 23 relevant to now. Or let me be even more direct, if you find yourself in a dark valley... or when you will, because you will, is, verse 5, about now, that I will experience blessing. Now, I have always thought, until Wednesday of this week, that verse 5 was about the world to come. It kind of reads a bit like that, doesn't it? And the reason it reads a bit like that is because the description of blessing in this life is going to sound like or point to or be a shadow of the blessing in the life to come. But Psalm 23 verse 5 is not primarily about the life to come. Why? And our ministry associates nailed me on this this week. What about that phrase, in the presence of my enemies? Oh, I said. Well, I was halfway there. They just landed the plane. 
we will not be in the presence of any enemies in the new creation. We will not be in the presence of anything or anyone that opposes God. We will not be in the presence of sin and sickness and distress or the devil. And we will not be in the presence or even conscious of or even remember what it was, the last enemy, death. For in the new creation, there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain. So the psalm must be talking, verse 5, about present blessing. My cup, it overflows with joy. I feast on his pure delights. Even now, in verse 4 of the psalm, or in Psalm 22. Now, is that true? Let's take it on, head on. Is it true of David, the writer of the psalm? David had many difficult times in his life when he faced enemies, many of them of his own making. And he did really face some stuff, like he faced the consequences of his own adultery. He faced the estrangement and the hostility of his own son. He faced murderous plots against his life. And yet, all through his experience, in his pain and suffering, he was able, as a flesh and blood believer, to find himself delighting in the Lord. Often elusive, and it's worth stressing that, you know, you get these shafts of light in a psalm. There are some in Psalm 22, but there are shafts of light in a dark psalm. And I don't think that's wrong. I think that's real Christian experience. I have taken to working up there on the top deck, and uh, I was doing a bit of this, uh, finishing the sermon, and I was doing it in front of the David and Jonathan window. Isn't that great? And of course, there's a picture of David in the stained glass mourning the death of his friend and many other things. That got me meditating on some of the golden oldie hymns, which are, are, are great. Um, that was a good modern hymn we sang, though. Stand the test of time. It's a great song, great new song. And we try to sing all sorts of old and new here, and it's right that we do. Here's an old song that just gets this all right. Oh, joy, that's a good start. Oh, joy, that seekest me through pain. So joy and pain. I cannot close my heart to thee. So think of David in the Psalms, Psalm 27, Psalm 22. Pain, 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 and he finds that in the middle of his pain, he cannot close his heart to God. I trace the rainbow through the rain. Today is a, what you call in Scotland, drich day. It's the rain that gets in everywhere. And I had to walk to church, which is unfair, and got very, very, very wet and sad. So, this is you tracing a rainbow through the rain, through the mist. 
and you feel that the promise is not vain. And that's a great phrase, isn't it? You don't just jump up and down with joy. You just feel that the promise is not made up. It's not worthless. It's not worthless. But you and I are not kind of hymn writers, are we? You and I write more like my headings on the sheet there. We're not into poetry. We're not into writing hymns that we can sing and find joy in. Is it true for us? It's true for David. It's true for uh, people who write these uh, wonderful hymns. But what about us? Will blessing break in through the clouds? Will the sun shine through the rain? Will we be able to sing verse 5 while we live in verse 4 of the psalm? Well, I've been a minister here for 10 years nearly. 10 years times 52 weeks is 520 weeks. I have seen this every single one of these weeks in one of your lives. I've seen you experiencing joy that has sought you through your pain. I've seen you unable to close your heart to Jesus and feel that the promises of a sound like this are true. But he is with you. And I'm sure I'll see it every week from here on in. So there are overwhelming blessings even now in the stuff of this life. Blessing that overwhelms, not blocks it out, but overwhelms our suffering and sorrow. How does that blessing come to us? The shafts of joy or the, the feasting on his pure delights. It might be on a Sunday, and that's why it's good to come to church when things aren't easy because you're always blessed by doing so. It might be in a small group. That's not a plug for small groups, except it is. I mean, just imagine in your small group this Wednesday or Thursday or whatever, and, and you say, well, what have, you, what have you got out of this series on um, the Psalm 23? If the answer is nothing, please don't pass that on to me. And you, you might say, well, okay, I, I, you might not know it, but in my life, there's just, this has been going on. And the person that you're with can take the truth that you heard on a Sunday and just, just cement it with you. And that leads you to another way that you experience the blessings of God, primarily through the promises of God. It's Jesus you need, not me. But it comes through Christian fellowship, Christian love. So in the first service, there was a minister here. It's always scary when a minister comes up and says, oh, I'm a minister. I want to say one thing to you, he said. And I said to the congregation in the first service that I loved them still. And he said to me, if you stop loving them, then you should be gone. He's right, of course, isn't it? You know, we've got to be a loving church, and it's not the love. Love isn't the joy that comes to us through pain. Love 
goes to people in their pain and points them to Jesus with a promise. You're still thinking, some of you, I can tell, about seven of you, that this is true for them but not me. What would I say to you in that? What I would say to you after 10 years of ministry here is that people who say that to me or when I say it to myself will be able to say in two months or three months or four months or 20 years in the case of somebody here this morning. He was with me. I'm still here. My faith is stronger. Now, it is about blessing, even now, but it's also, verse 5, about the life to come. And that's not kind of hedging your bets. The blessing that you experience now is of the same order as the blessing you would experience then. You know, it's, it, it's, it, it, it tastes the same, although very, very dull. The little shafts of light that break in upon us. It's like at the, the graveside last week when we buried the little baby. There was moments when light broke in and you realized that death is not one. But they broke in. They didn't surround us the whole day. That fusion of the now and the not yet is so important. Overwhelming blessings. Overwhelming in the sense of Philippians 4. Blessings that surpass explanation. Blessings that give you peace in an anxious storm. Blessings that give you calm when you shouldn't have calm. Blessings that enable you to take a tough diagnosis. Steadily. Or the loss of a friend because you're a Christian and they're not. Steadily. But infinitely more in the life to come. Now, verse 6. This is slightly less cluttered. The Lord's absolute commitment to you through life, death, and for all eternity. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One of my strange pastimes is visiting graveyards um, for pleasure. So I took uh, our little son, William, uh, who's not so little, but he's still the little one, to Curry Cemetery a week past Friday evening, you know, as you do. <laughs> we were on an evening cycle ride in the Pentlands, but I wanted to go via Curry Cemetery. Because of what was going on at church, I wanted to photograph the graves of people we knew, and I, I did. There are four people there that uh, I knew very well, and I photographed the graves. One of them were an old couple, Molly and Bertie Carnahan, whose grandson and daughter are with us here. And on their grave it says, the Lord is my shepherd in life, death, and forever. It's great. 
I wonder how many people have been helped by that when they've wandered in there on their bicycle rides to the Pentlands. But why shield a 14-year-old from all that? That's life, isn't it? Now, let me read it. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Please don't hear that as my life is to consist of seeking after goodness and mercy in the hope that I will amass enough to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's completely the other way around. Each week as we study this psalm, I try to point out what this psalm is about or the orientation or the direction of the psalm. Yes, David is an example of what trust in the Lord looks like. And Stuart Townend, bless him, he writes wonderful songs. It's okay to have the chorus, I will trust in you alone. I will trust in you alone. But it's not in the psalm. It's not in the psalm. The application of this psalm is not to trust God. It is to know and feel that God is absolutely committed to you. If you want to sing, I will trust in you alone, that's great. But please don't think that your trust is anything like the trustworthiness or the tenacity or the relentless love and mercy and commitment of God to you. That's the language of the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me. He leads me. He restores my soul. He leads me. You are with me. Your rod. So on and so forth. The Lord's absolute commitment to you. The Lord, L-O-R-D, capitals, Yahweh, I am, the great and awesome God, is absolutely committed to you in the person of his son, the good shepherd, who laid down his life for you, that you might know him, know his voice, and he lives in you by the Holy Spirit, the guarantee of resurrection to everlasting life. The Lord's absolute commitment to you. Surely, David writes, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely, for certain, it is so. I have seen it. I have felt it. Goodness and mercy, when you talk about a good friend, and I hope you have a good friend, or good friends, that is always relative to something else. When you talk about a good God or goodness, you talk about Godness. It is absolute. God is good. Goodness is simply God following you. And so David fully expects, I fully expect, notice I am not saying I always feel this, but I fully expect that the Lord will provide all that I need and all that you need. The Lord will lead you in green pastures and still waters. He will satisfy your spiritual hunger and your spiritual thirst. 
He will restore your soul. He will bring you back when you wander. Almost certainly, he is doing that for someone here now. He will guide you in right paths. He will be with you in dark valleys. He will. That is what we can expect of God. His goodness will follow me, not only his goodness, but his mercy. That word means committed, forgiving, steadfast love. When you take goodness and mercy and you add that to the relentless orientation of the psalm, God to us, what you come to terms with when it is the action of the great and awesome God, Yahweh, to you as an individual, it is overwhelming, it is frightening, in his power. It's frightening. Love is frightening. To be loved like this is frightening. It's why we don't turn and cuddle Jesus. It's why we kneel before him. The Lord's goodness and mercy literally pursues me is the Hebrew word. Uh, pursuit means to overtake. Notice that the early part of the psalm is about being led. Notice that one to four. He leads me. He leads me. He leads me. The shepherd is ahead of me. This bit of the psalm, verse five, is about being pursued and followed. We're led. We're followed. We're led by the shepherd, followed by the fierce goodness and love, the tide of God's mercy. And in case we're not sure what brackets our lives as Christians, the first word of the psalm in Hebrew is Lord, and the last word of the psalm is Lord. Beginning and end, first and last, your life utterly hemmed in. There is nowhere that you can go that is out of the presence of God. Goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. God has no off days, half days, rest days, flexi time, or holidays. And I don't take this the wrong way, but I am delighted the holidays are finished for another year. Spiritually, I am. The church is back. We're back meeting each other. We're back to our small groups. I always worry when the students come back every year, what will have happened to them in the holidays? And David says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David looks forward to the temple. He cannot think of anything better than being in the holy of holies with a temple. And that temple is the new creation. The new creation, the temple of God, is just God with his people in a resurrected earth. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, as we finish, let's come back up above the trees and remember that this is a psalm of Jesus that you can sing with confidence because of him. 
or even clearer than that, a psalm of Jesus that you can sing with confidence because he lives in you. I've used this analogy before of a golfer. Um, Let's change from Rory McIlroy to Tiger Woods because he's rising up the rankings. What would you rather have? Would you rather have a book or a DVD that says, play golf like Tiger? I mean, that would help, wouldn't it? Except it wouldn't work. Number two, a round with Tiger Woods. Number three, whatever it is, his combination of mental strength, fast and slow twitch muscles, extraordinary hand-eye ball coordination, and sheer brute power living in you. What would you rather have? That's the Christian life. It's not that Jesus sings over there and we join in with the chorus. He sings inside of us by his Spirit. And all that he went through when he died and when he rose, that, that song, that affinity, that identity with him is inside of us. Which is why I think when you walk through the valley of the shadow of day, the Lord Jesus is as close to you as the person sitting next to you, to whom you refer to as you, you are with me. Jesus sung the psalm, and we sing this psalm with confidence. In verse 4 and 5, though, as we're singing along with Jesus, He sings slightly different words than we sing. That bit when you sing with him, the harmony is not quite there. Why is that? So when he sang, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. He would not be able to sing, I don't think, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow. He went through the valley of death in all its fury and its blackness and its bleakness. With no shadow, he took the full sting of it. And there was a point when Jesus hung on the cross when he would not be able to sing, you are with me. And then in verse 5, would the Lord Jesus be able to sing that? Well, I think we harmonies again a little out of sync you prepare a table before me he deserves a banquet doesn't he after his life on earth in the presence of my enemies Jesus did not feast on pure delights in the presence of his enemies the enemy the devil the last enemy death He experienced the full fury of their victory. You anoint my head with oil. Yes, Jesus would have said, I I remember that. My head was anointed when I was in Simon's house. But that woman did it because she knew I was going to die. And my cup overflows. He deserved it cup that we drink, but he drained and drank a cup 
that's very different. It's not that this psalm is about the cup of wrath. It's not. It's about the cup of blessing. It's just that Jesus, who sings this psalm, doesn't sing this bit until now. When he's with Jesus. When he's with God. Jesus took the sting out of death. He took the sting out of grief. He took the sting out of life. He took the sting out of sin. He took the sting out of doubt. And when you take the sting out, it doesn't take the pain away in this life. But it's not as sore. It doesn't take the pain away of death. But it's not as bleak. And of course it brings us through to glory. My question to you all as we finish the psalm is, can you sing the psalm, Is the Lord Jesus your shepherd? What is at stake if you cannot sing it? Well, what's at stake is that, well, at your funeral, this is what's at stake. When your body is interred in the ground, For so-and-so, the Lord Jesus was not their shepherd. He came to church week in, week out, and they would not heed his call. And they said no. When they walked through the valley of the shadow of death, and when their relatives had to let them go, they were utterly alone. And they will not live with Jesus in a new creation. Jesus knows his sheep and they know his voice. Do not ignore his voice. Our Father, thank you for this marvelous psalm. Thank you for all its truth and power and help and strength. Thank you for the way that the very words of this psalm have been our shepherd through these difficult days. We pray, Lord, that we would all heed your voice. Whether for the first time, or for another day of endless days of listening to the shepherd. Help us, Lord, to be ready to go into that darkest of valleys, not alone, but with Jesus. And bring us through at the last to everlasting life. Help us, Lord, to remember that this is not a kind of theory. It is all grounded and rooted in the facts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Help us to turn there or to ask somebody to help us turn there if we're not sure. And may we all be found singing these words from hearts that are thankful for Jesus' sake. Amen.